Happy Sabbath, everybody. Happy, Happy Sabbath. Sabbath. Good morning. And it's beautiful outside. I'm sure for those who listen to this podcast later, they'll probably hear roosters and birds chirping. Like that bird right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very organic, isn't it? That's, that's the way we like it. So, last week we opened up this chapter on forgiveness. And I think last week we just had a really awesome conversation learning about some of these things, the purpose of forgiveness. We learned a lot about God. But to jump into today's discussion, we drew a line here on page 70 of our study, and we're going to crack open the big topic of the unpardonable sin. And the lesson makes this point, which so many are concerned about. Anybody here, can can anybody relate with that Mm -hmm. sentence, that whole idea? Like you live in this fear maybe at some point seasons in our lives like have we committed the unpardonable sin so there's a lot about that isn't it um can i volunteer to read the first passage that they offer to us there matthew 12 31 to 32 therefore i say to you every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men but the blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven men Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Mm-hmm. So, the unpardonable sin is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. If we just left it there, that's still unanswered, isn't it? Yeah. That just leaves a lot. So I'm really thankful that the author kind of jumps in a whole lot more. So let's define what exactly does the Holy Spirit do. Um, Chambers gives us three things. Uh, first, he teaches, John 14, 26. And then let's see, maybe Lola, you want to read the second one? And Joe, you want to read the third one? So the three things the Holy Spirit does is he teaches, John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things. He convicts and warns, John 16, 8. And when he, the Holy Spirit, has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Number three, he guides to the truth, John 16, 13. <coughs> However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. Is that new information to anybody here? That the Holy Spirit kind of does those three things? That idea? new information is I didn't know that the blasphemy was against the Holy Spirit. I just thought it was God in general. The unpardonable sin. Yeah. Well said. So I like where I like where the author is going here. He gives the Greek meaning behind the word blasphemy is blasphemio, blasphemio, something like that. It means to abuse, to denounce, or to injure. That means that once a person is taught convicted and warned by the Holy Spirit of God, if they turn away and shun him, he is injured, he is put down, he is grieved, as suggested in the following text. What about that idea you can actually injure God? Now that's interesting. I think it just plays to the fact that God has emotions. We're created in his image, and we have emotions, then we have to assume that God has emotions too. Oh. And if, if our feelings get hurt, and then we're created in his image, then he, his feelings can be hurt too. 
And we can't injure God, can't we? We could kill him. Mm-hmm. There's lots of evidence to that. Any other thoughts there as we kind of work down this page? Anything jump out to you in those passages in Isaiah or Ephesians? Some biblical evidence there, some text about grieving the Holy Spirit. Like that sentence says, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit has to do with how a person relates to the Holy Spirit's work. When we rebel and resist his work for us, we cause grief and extreme emotional pain to God. It breaks his heart. The next sentence I think was really powerful. I underline that. It's not about breaking the law and making him angry. It's breaking his heart and making him hurt. That kind of jumped out at me when I read that. Because we were talking before we started recording, Lola, you mentioned about, you know, that like this angry fear aspect that you kind of that we all can relate with. And uh, I just think it's really interesting how the author kind of brought out a different perspective, I guess you can say. You're not making him angry, you're you're breaking his heart. So let's turn the page here and let's read Hebrews 6, 1 through 8. There's a lot in this passage, but I think it's really important that we touch on it. Um, There in the beginning, Hebrews 6, 1 through 8. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. Interesting why they kind of list those things. But keep going. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good work of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucified again for themselves the Son of God. And put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes upon it, and bears herbs useful for those by whom it is cultivated, receives blessings from God. But if it bears thorns and briars, it is rejected and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. That's a complex passage. I I, I even have a hard time. Hebrews is a hard book to read anyway. If anybody read the book of Hebrews, you could be Hebrews and there's a lot going on there. But the author here defines, let us go on to perfection. Someone read that paragraph and let's unpack that a little bit. Let us go on to perfection. Perfection from the Greek teleos, which means to grow up or maturity. The danger for the Christian is that one becomes complacent and fails to grow to spiritual maturity. What do you think of that? There's a, there's a passage that hit my head about like Jesus is describing Jesus like once Jesus was made perfect, he became a substitute by something. Yeah, there's more there, but the point being in the beginning, like once Jesus was made perfect. And we, like I think a lot of people could ask the question, like wasn't Jesus always perfect though? Like 
how could he be made perfect? Growing up, they're maturing just like any child. Yeah. He had to learn. His mama had to teach him. He had to grow up and mature into the you know the savior that he became for us. He had to recognize who he was. Hmm. So, growing up in a behavior rule based legal religious system, we'll just say it that way. What is perfection? Perfection equals. You can't do anything wrong. Yeah. Perfect no behavior. Sin. Yeah. That's perfection. Yeah. And that was like uh, the Jews in Jesus' time, right? They had like so many like. Wasn't there like 600 and some laws in, in the ancient Hebrew-Jewish that they ensured perfection? Hmm. Who determines perfection? Well said. Or what determines perfection, right? So what's the measuring stick? Well, it's going to be a who. A tree isn't going to judge me. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be who, 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 who determines perfection. Mm-hmm. But if we're reading this, perfection isn't what we think it is. It's 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 us it's us growing and maturing, and not just physically, like child to adult, but it's also in our faith. Mm-hmm. You know the past few years I've learned so many truths that I understood differently but I feel like it opened up which opened something else up which opened something else up which was amazing to me so am I mature I don't know Mm. but I'm still working on it you know Hmm. Well said. The author keeps kind of going a little bit further there where he says in Hebrews 10, 26 and 27 warns, For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Dum, dum, dum. (laughs) Huh? A little bit of brimstone in there. Mm -hmm. But some people need Mount Sinai, don't they? Think about it, right? Jesus, who was meek and mild, you know, was also the God on Mount Sinai, thunder, lightning, because that's what the people needed. Okay? But to your point, well, I think that's really interesting when you said, so am I growing up? Am I maturing? I think an answer lies in Hebrews. I think that's why he brought that out. If we continue doing something after we receive the knowledge of the truth, the knowledge of the truth, I think that's the key aspect in there, mm-hmm. right? Because if you reject, if if you reject the truth, how many other types of truths are there? The trick questions. Endless, I feel like. No, if you reject the truth, how many other types of truth are there? None. None. There's none. So who determines truth? <laughs> some good thinking. To say. What is truth? There's, there's truths that have helped us live, but they wouldn't necessarily be 
true. You know, like there's metaphysical mm-hmm. truths, but there's also physical truths. Mm-hmm. So like reality, right? Truths of reality or the way God like has the universe to operate truths, right? And then there's the there's their subjective truth of what's true for me. It's my truth, which is different than truth for you, right? But it's not based in reality, right? And then that really shouldn't be called truth. Exactly. That's called opinion. That's right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So when, we, when we're talking about God, things of scripture, things of reality, we're looking at and this is where this is where the idea of like design law really comes into play versus the penal idea, the legal idea, because well, what's written in a book says what's true. But a, a group of people can sit around and change what's written in the book, and now it's no longer true. Something else is now true. Well, like Wikipedia, for instance. There you go. It's a lot of people can add or whatever to that, and it's yeah, not yeah. necessarily true. That's right. But, but a group of people can't get around a circle and vote to say that if you lie, then there's no harm that comes from it. Sure they can. But does it actually change it? No. It doesn't actually change it. Of course they can sit around and say there's no harm that comes from it if you lie. But go ahead. Lie. What happens inside of you? Fear. You automatically start acting in ways that to prevent that from being exposed. So that's the kind of truth I think that we're talking about. It's like design law, absolute truth, mm-hmm. reality. Universal truths. Show me one politician that fears what he says. And I think we'll find an answer to what you just said, Joe. Great point in this lesson because they talk about the condition of heart. The condition of heart. And where, where it kind of leads. So the bottom paragraph there, let's let's see if this connects to what we're just talking about. If we were to do a word study of this verse, we would learn that this does not mean committing one sinful act. If we did, none of us would have any hope. Praise God for that. But according to the Greek tense, it means to willfully keep on practicing sin. After we have been convicted by the Holy Spirit that it is wrong, the New Living Translation Bible correctly translated this way. If we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth top of page 73 therefore the unpardonable sin is to be understood not as a single act but the continual persistent rebellion against the work of the holy spirit upon the heart as he attempts to one teach us as he attempts to two convict us of the right and wrong and three as he attempts to warn us of the consequences of sin so where's the line then you said like continual whatever. I'm not following. Same like, where's the line where you've committed the unpardonable sin? Continual could mean like three times or a hundred times. You know what I mean? I don't have an answer for that. Yeah. Because is there a defining line? I don't see that like so every person is an individual, right? So, like, I think to say, and, you know, I have 30 students, right? But they all learn the same concepts at different rates and different ways by different, you know, uses of, you know, um, skills and all these kind of things. So, like, I think to say, like, okay, well, you do, if the entire population, right, of the world does something three times and then well that's 
their cutoff, and I think that would be unfair because everybody, unreasonable, uh, because everybody, <clears throat> you know, learns at a different rate, right? Like their understanding is going to be different from the next person. So I, I don't know that, like, like that doesn't seem like a very fair God to be like, oh, well, right here's the cutoff for everybody, yep. right? So I think it's more individual. Like, okay, so for you, right, like, you know, like you have an understanding of the truth and only, like, I guess you can really know that, right? Like you truly have an understanding of the truth and your conscience is saying, like, this is not the right thing to do, but yet you continue to do it. So um, an idea just came to me about the idea of the line. <clears throat> Picture Jesus hanging on the cross and two thieves hanging on either side of him. Is this where you're going to go? No. no. Where was the line for those guys? Oh, he said lion. <laughs> <laughs> yes, good. Well, I guess they didn't do anything after they were convicted. They, were, they didn't sin after they were convicted because they just died, right? Well, one of them did, didn't he? Or one, one yeah, the one, one, the one who actually accepted Jesus. This will answer yours, but this is also along the line what I was going to say. Okay. And that is, it's a heart change. Okay. So, because for each person, it's going to be different. If, if you're true, it's true with the individuality, but it's not necessarily the number. It's your heart condition. It's, you know, it doesn't matter anymore. At some point, it doesn't matter anymore. I think to Morgan's point, though, this his question was, so where's that line between the heart condition, right? Like, mm -hmm. if you have the heart change. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then still do it. That's the unpardonable sin, right? Mm, so if you have the heart change and still do it, do you actually have the heart change? Yeah, maybe that's not. So maybe it's yeah. impossible to commit the unpardonable sin. In that case. <laughs> you know what I mean? I heard an Adventist person online talk about, I forget his name, he was a serial murderer. But he said he, he came to Christ before he was executed. So... There's but, he, a, but he might not have been convicted before that. You know what I mean? When you say convicted, clarify. You mean like the state like conviction? The heart, the heart change. No, oh, oh yeah, like conviction, like faith-wise. I understand. Okay, thank you for clarifying. I see. So, so this, so this person, you know, again, it, it's all about perspectives, and you know, and goes back to that judgment thing, which is the crux of my miserable existence. Sometimes, is that you. So who am I to say that this person didn't have a change of heart? It's kind of hard to tell a person who who did the. I can't think of the guy's name, but it doesn't matter. But how's it? Who am I to say this person can or can't have a change of heart? All right, but so let's get back to let's get back to this original sin, or the 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 not the original sin, the, the huh? the 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 cardinal sin here. Um, so. That's, I think that's, I think we're kind of, I, I, in my mind, I think kind of getting off track on that because we're trying to talk about this one. And I'm starting to think about people and, and, you know, it is an earthly thing. But what point do we, you know, I think that the next, the next paragraph, which I like colored in green, to me was the most poignant paragraph of this whole read myself. Sure. Um, huh? Uh, when the Holy Spirit brings truth to the heart one of two things happen the heart responds or two the heart hardens when the holy spirit speaks we usually hear him the loudest the first time and this is what i that i 
is what really kind of had me thinking. If we continue to resist the Holy Spirit long enough, his voice gets quieter and quieter and quieter. We will eventually come to a place where we can no longer hear him at all. At this point, there is no more God can do. It is at that point when we have resisted, made excuses, and rebelled until there is no remedy, no way back. It is then that we have committed the unpardonable sin. This is a very subtle danger that everyone needs to be aware of. According to Jesus, this warning applies to religious people as well. Um, so that that there is, you know, just like a um, in AA, there's a story of a person who's who uh, has a problem. He likes running across the street. One time he runs across the street and he he almost gets hit. Next time he gets he breaks his hand. Next time he runs across the street, he breaks his leg. I'm never going to do it again. Then he does it again, breaks his back, and he's paralyzed. So that that's the story that I'm getting out of this is that, you know, <clears throat> you know what you shouldn't be doing, what you should be doing, and people are just going to throw their hands up and say, you're on your own now. There's nothing I can do for you anymore. And that's where I I like this, this, this particular paragraph. Um, and I guess the, the biblical backing up is in the next verse, which mm-hmm. I didn't read yet. But... But just a, in an earthly common earthly situation, you know, we're, we do that too. If a person keeps doing certain things, I always love them, but I, I can't I can't support her. I'm not coming out to rescue again. I'm not I'm not going to get you out of jail again. I'm not going to do this because you just keep putting yourself in this position. Can I do a little a little thing here that it was explained to me this way, and I thought this was really nice. And it's like, okay, I have a gift. And I'm giving you this gift. Take this gift. I got the gift. You don't want it. You want to oh, yeah. reject the gift. Take it back. Here. Keep it for a while. Nah, here. Nah, you hang on to it for a while. Okay. So, for God, who is a loving God, at some point, he has to respect your wishes. Mm-hmm. It's not because... He doesn't want you. Oh, he wants you. Yeah. He loves you. Yeah. But at some point, you have determined in your mind, no. Yeah. And he has to accept it. Yeah. And yeah. that... Who has to accept it? Mark has to accept your gift? No. God has to accept that that is your wish. He that he doesn't, doesn't want the gift. That right. he doesn't want okay, the okay, gift. Okay, all right. I got you. And Design so that's... Law of freedom. Design yeah. law of freedom. A couple things hit me when we, Joe, when you shared that paragraph, and thank you for reading that because that's like amazing. Um, the idea, just like you said, Lola, of desensitizing, mm-hmm. desensitizing. Um, the Bible through the Gospels, you hear lots of times the idea of leprosy and Jesus healing leprosy. Well, leprosy is a metaphor for sin because what does leprosy do? When you first get leprosy, like everything hurts, it's insane, but leprosy kills the nerve endings. So eventually, as leprosy progresses, you lose all feeling. Correct. You become dead. That's why, you know, and, it, and it's not that people were, historically, it's not that leprosy would eat and remove all of your fingers, as I understand this. It's that you lost feelings and you stuck your hand in the fire and you didn't know it. And the fire burned your hand off. Like that, or you got cut. You didn't feel it and it got infected and turned gangrene and you lost your arm. Like. As I understand it, that's the metaphor, the object lesson that leprosy is in the Bible to describe this process. And 
Um, there was one other thing I want to say, the idea at the beginning of that paragraph where the first sentence, when the Holy Spirit be brings truth to the heart, one of two things happens. And I think, Morgan, this will answer your question, where the line is. We can all agree that when Jesus was hanging on the cross, it was, as the scripture says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all to me. The complete truth about God will be revealed. Now, if you are two thieves hanging next to Jesus and you see the truth about God, right? What what more profound revelation of truth could there be in that moment? And you have one thief who his heart responds and one thief who his heart hardens. And then they died. So where's the line when you die? Because the way I look at that, to answer your question for me, the way I look at that, as long as you've got breath in your lungs, you can make a choice If when God reveals truth to you. Even if you live your whole life like the thief on the cross, he lived his whole life hardening his heart, but before he died, the Holy Spirit, one last attempt at truth, right there in the person of Jesus, and one said, I responded, and one said, I rejected it. <clears throat> How does that sit with you guys? What do you think of that idea? Makes sense to me. Because what would it say about God, even though God knows the end from the beginning, what would it say about God if he, in his foreknowledge, said, I know that person's heart's already hardened, so I'm not going to reveal any more truth to them. Right? But nobody else knows that. Then it would almost make God look like he's what? being kind of arbitrary or showing favoritism or withholding withholding I don't, I don't think that he's ever going to stop revealing truth right <clears throat> like to anybody right period and, but I do think that you know it says in here in, in that verse that you know you read Joe it says his voice gets quieter and quieter and quieter and we will eventually come to a place where we can no longer hear him at all so I think that's where like, he's going to keep, like, hey, this is, you know, not something you should be doing. Hey, like, maybe you should, you know, stay away from this, whatever it is, right? And then as we continue to be like, yeah, no, we're good. Like, I got this, right? And then eventually you don't even realize that that little, you know, voice in your head doesn't even come up and say, hey, maybe you shouldn't be doing this, right? Like, it's not that it's, like, you just can't hear it anymore, right? You've silenced it to the point where it's, it's not that it's not there. It's not you're not being offered that. But you just cannot hear it anymore. Hear it to the point where it, it's not even there anymore. You don't even know you're doing wrong. Angel's got a comment. Yeah, to elaborate on that, I think I think that sometimes God lets people suffer the consequences of their action, and sometimes that might snap them back. And you know, it's like. by letting them do what they what they want to do and then suffer the consequences you know then maybe that person will snap back and it's like you know what this is not right mm. you know I ignore the signs and I suffer the consequences and I'm ready to come back to the Lord well, this is the same God that that 
told his disciples to forgive 70 times 70, not because it's a number, mm. it's because you stuff. lose count. Yeah, 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 yeah. You lose count, you know? It's a way of Keep life. forgetting. Keep forgiving. Rules of baseball are easier. Three strikes. <laughs> Check out that bottom paragraph in 73. Even active Christians must be careful that they do not rationalize and justify some pet sin until they convince themselves they are not doing anything wrong. Once a person has completely severed their conscience, the Holy Spirit can no longer reach them, and there's no more that God can do to save them. Jesus spoke of this in Matthew 13. For the hearts of this people have grown dull. Their ears are hard of hearing. Their eyes, they have, no, they have been closed. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears. Lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. The next section in this page on 74 there in the middle, I think is really, really important because God, the author here brings out some really good points that kind of kind of drive this idea home of like the unpardonable sin and God's character. Can someone read the first paragraph? On page 74. It is not that God won't forgive them or help them change but they don't feel the need to change because they think they're okay. Just like they are. There are three basic reasons a person slips into this dangerous position. One, they become indifferent. They simply don't care. Two, they are too busy, won't take the time. Or three, they become opinionated, hard-hearted, and refuse to change. Now, I'm going to suggest to you there should be a fourth one in there. And I wrote this fourth one. They believe a lie about God, that God's law is legal and it's transactional. I'm saved, I can do what I want. We talk about this a lot, Joe. We bring up a lot. I've been baptized the right way, I go to church on the right day, whatever it could be. It's illegal, I said the right words, I'm saved. That should be number four. They have a legal view of God. But what do you think of that, what he talks about in there? sounds like in each one of those scenarios they're making a conscious choice mm -hmm. Mm. I think they're all deeply intertwined I mean as far as I mean you could like even the fourth one that you added you could pretty much add all that to just one thing and it's I could explain all this in one word selfish that's what I was yeah. thinking Joe mm -hmm. exactly. just a selfishly motivated heart mm -hmm. yep because, you know, when you hear that small voice, and we've all heard it, and you decide to go against it time and time again, you know, and, and really those of us that were raised in a semblance of truth, you know, as far as biblical truth, um, and you go through your rebellious stages through life, and, you know, and sometimes that doesn't necessarily stop when you're a youth. Many times that spills over into long life, and, can you imagine how much torture the Holy Spirit went through during the antediluvian folks that lived 900 years and were rebellious for centuries? <laughs> you know, point. Yeah. It, it's, I think it's a blessing, actually, that God limited life to 70 years. You know, 
blessed if you have more than that, you know, and it's, it's, it's one of those things where it's, it, uh, you know, a lot of people go and, in, and go into an atheistic or an agnostic type of view because, well, this isn't certainly bad to do this mm. or that, you know, you know, let, let's, let's look at something like, you know, like people watching porn and such like, well, I'm not actually with the hooker. I'm just watching this thing. I'm not hurting anybody. You know what I mean? But it's like, you know, it, it, you know, or you go and you look at anything like, you know, that's, you, you have a little quarter on the table of your buddy's house and you're like, well, he won't miss the quarter. But you don't know whether he needed that quarter to go get lunch. You know what I mean? It's, it's, there's a lot of little things that kind of play in and you hear that little voice. Now you shouldn't pick that up. But selfishness. It would do me better and then in, in my pocket than in his. But unfortunately, we can't live in a, we can't live in, uh, we can't live in a pure society because this is not going to happen. We can't live in a, we're not going to. And unfortunately, I, I sometimes the, we gotta, we, we gotta make a, sometimes we all make, we don't make bad decisions. We'll be quick to say, oh, I'm not going to do this or do that or go there and support, you know, hold everything getting politically charged with everything these days. I'm not going to go to that store. I'm not going to go to that store. I'm not going to go to this website. But, you know, it's, it's at the point where it's like, if I were to really get down and dirty, if I need something, there's nowhere I can get it because there's, a, there's something against or something that every place of business does something that, I may not agree with, or you may not agree with, or or they'll have the the, the, the store or the the business uh, management might have a particular view, and the other one might have a different. But we're all, and that's a that's a tough thing, uh, Mark, on that on your logic there, because it's I'm guilty of it every day. If I go to Seven Eleven, well, Seven Eleven supports this. I shouldn't have go to the Hobby Lobby. Or... I shouldn't go to the Hobby Lobby because Hobby Lobby supports this. Or you go here. Oh, you shouldn't go there because you know because I'm feeding some fuel one way or another with every decision I seem to make economically. Yeah. So how do we tie that back in with the idea that the lessons trying to answer is the unpardonable sin is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. That's what Scripture clears it out. So how do we tie these concepts back in to the lesson? Let's pick it up here at Matthew 12, because this is the really important point I think that we should we should talk about. Matthew 12, 22 through 24. Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed him, so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? Now when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. I didn't understand that. I don't understand. Now, when the Pharisees heard it, they said, "This fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons." I, I, I I'm confused on what that means. So he's saying that Jesus didn't cast out the demons by God's power; he cast out the demons by the power of Satan. Okay. Right. There, the Pharisees are saying that Satan is actually on, that Jesus is actually on Satan's side in that. So he healed this dude because he was satanic. That's right. It was all deception. That's right. So the following paragraph, 
The issue here is that when a person comes to the place that they turn against the work of the Holy Spirit to the point of calling it demonic, as these men had, how can God convict that person of sin and thus allow them to receive the forgiveness and help that he makes so freely available? Think about that. If, the, if a person is so distorted in their thinking that the medication that the doctor is trying to give them actually heals, but they believe that the doctor is trying to poison them, can that person? Can the doctor actually do anything to help that person? No. No. You see that in psychiatric patients. Often. You see that all the time in psychiatric the stuff patients. Stuff they're being given is yep. there to harm actually, them yes. or to whatever. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Going to turn him into a robot. So as much as he would like to, as much as the doctor would like to, as much as God, Jesus would like to, he can't. Because the person believes that what's actually good for them, right? Right? Is bad for them. Will harm them. Will hurt them. I'm just thankful. That the Holy Spirit doesn't work like the orderlies at the psych ward that would hold you down and make you take your medicine. And you know what I mean? And, and really, I think God's way of doing that merc mercifully is allow us to just wallow in our, what we decided to do. And you know, it usually, you know, it, it can turn out to, for good, temporarily, but usually ill in the long run. Mm hmm. Still small voice though, you always still hear it. Come on. Come on. Well, I hear that voice too. But then see it's the other one is like, no, you don't want that. No. You, you make the great that. point, Mark, because that's you know, the lesson brings that out. It's previously stated when we come to the place that we no longer hear God's spirit speaking to us, there's nothing more God can do. Mm -hmm. The working of miracles or the fear of punishment will not change the heart. Remember that. Jesus standing on the cross, the working of miracles or fear of punishment will not change the heart. There's evidence, lots of evidence for that. The Lord says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. It only be the still small voice of the Holy Spirit that we are convicted of the truth. Because ultimately, when Romans, when Paul writes in Romans, let everyone be fully persuaded in their own mind, you have to come to that deep conviction yourself. Like, and like I, like I shared before we started here, the situation with my friend, if someone would have told me six months ago, a year ago, well, the reason he's not friend with you is because you lied, because whatever, here's the situation, here's why. Nah, I don't, I don't think so. But coming to that deep understanding within myself, like, like that creates a whole different thing. And that was just a subtle, like it was in a dream I had last night. I had a dream last night about him. And the, the scenario was some person I don't even know. I was working alongside this person I don't even know in the dream. And he said to me, yeah, I was at church with this guy. And they said that you were one of his best friends. That, that's all the dream was. And I woke up this morning and I was standing in the kitchen crying. I was in so much remorse over that. Because the, the, the truth and the reality of the situation suddenly just kind of like settled into my spirit. 
overwhelmed. Well, see, sometimes the Holy Spirit will use your friends to plant that seed in your head. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and yeah. you never know where it comes from. So page 75, um, that's the middle paragraph there. Think of this. And remember, forgiveness, as important as it is to our well-being, is not the key issue. Right? We can add that to the three things that the author put here that people tend to do. If they believe, if a person believes I'm forgiven, it doesn't matter. As long as I ask for forgiveness, I can do whatever I want. Right? That'll keep me stuck. Forgiveness is not the key issue. We are not saved by simply being forgiven. We are saved by God creating in us a new heart and right spirit. Psalm 51.10 Jesus referred to this as being born again in John 3.3. 3. Actually, in the original Greek, it is I love that. Born from above, not born again. Clearly, this is a work of regeneration done in us by the Holy Spirit. My favorite definition of the word recovery is not sobriety, is not stopping something that you're trying, you know, unwanted behavior. Recovery is recovering the man or woman God intended you to be. I love that definition. Recovering the man or woman God intended you to be. That's being born from above. Someone read for us Titus 3, 3 through 7, and let that marinate a little bit. We ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What does that mean to you? How do you break that down and unpack it in a way that's really concise? He saved us from his mercy, his grace. It's nothing that we've done, nothing that we can do. It's just his love, his grace, and his mercy that we're saved. All we need to do is lean into that and listen to that still small voice. I think it's great. He, he brings that point out. When the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not because we did anything. God didn't God isn't trying to heal us and restore us and regenerate us because we did something. Mm -hmm. He's doing that because that's who he is. Any final thoughts as we wrap up this chapter? Is it is it better understood, I guess, the unpardonable sin idea? That concept now? Is there still some questions unanswered? Is it is it challenging anybody's previous understandings about God or what this idea is? It should a lot of new insights. 
you know, as far as the meanings of the words, you know, because I don't, I don't have a, right. a Greek dictionary next to me or whatever, but it's, it's, it's one of those things where the different meanings of those words really, they, they really make a mark. Like I said at the beginning, you know, we can, how do I say this? I'm going to say it's going to come out sounding really bad. But we could deny Jesus. We can deny God. We can we can deny all that. But once the heart, Holy Spirit gets into us, once we deny the Holy Spirit, that's what really makes us who we are. Then, then, then we might as well. That that I didn't understand that until I read that. It's the Holy Spirit that we deny. That's the part that truly physically touches us. Yeah. The spirit that teaches and leads and convicts and sheds light on the truth. Joe mentioned about us not living in a pure society. I've been thinking about that, and my brain is just saying that we that pure society is we have to allow the spirit to just create that in our own hearts. That's where our pure society needs to be in our own heart, just following his guidance and his leading, and then live accordingly. Well said. In two weeks, we'll pick it up in chapter 7, The Wages of Sin. So he kind of closes out this chapter by saying that if we, you know, what happens to somebody who has perpetually lived in a state of rejecting the Holy Spirit? The Wages of Sin. And then we're going to pick that up in two weeks. So, yeah, let's pray. God, thank you for this conversation. Thank you for the truths of this lesson and for the convictions and for leading us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit's work. May we carry this message to the world and may it just produce a lot of a lot of people turning their hearts to trust in you. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.